Welcome to the frontier of the metaverse, where we learn from high quality entrepreneurs, artists, and change makers shaping the future of the metaverse. Here we discuss how to level up, how to get started, and how to get ahead of the opportunity. I'm your host, Howard Kingston. This episode is with Sophia Garcia. And in this episode, we talk all about art in the metaverse. Now, digital art has seen a huge rise in the last few years, particularly with the rise of NFTs. Now, it's really easy to see some NFTs, maybe you have some images of some monkeys, and you can just dismiss it as not really serious art. Now, I'd like to change your mind in this episode because there's a number of very credible digital artists creating beautiful pieces of digital art out there. And that's really what we get into in this episode. Sophia is probably the person I would see really leading the way of bridging the traditional art world with the digital NFT art world. And Sophia Garcia has been an art curator herself, helping launch some of the biggest names in NFT art, as well as she sits on the curation committee of Artblocks, one of the leading generative art platforms, which we get into in this episode. So in this episode, we talk about generative art, this new form of algorithmically created art. We talk about uh, if you're an artist, how you can get into the world of NFTs. And also if you're a creator, how to choose pieces of art better, particularly if you're starting to choose NFTs and generative art to purchase. And with that, let's get to the show. So Sophia, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. So, Sophia, I'd love to start with what got you into the wonderful world of Web3, NFTs, and all that world. Um, it was a bit serendipitous in a way. I was very interested in like the crypto sphere in a way. Um, I had done some like Bitcoin hackathons back in 2016. Uh, I had been check checking out... Uh, there was, there was also a really cool creative hackathon that happened at MIT that I went to. And that was the first time I met the CryptoPunks and uh, John Wilkinson. And I heard him talk about that and that I, that concept of a, collect, a crypto collectible was like, okay, I get that now. Uh, but it wasn't really until 2019 when I organized a show with Dimitri Cherniak and Tyler Hobbs that we that I actually engaged with one in in a I guess practical sense and so that was the first time I worked with an artist to mint one of their artworks because the collector was interested in it I was actually rather hesitant I was like this is a fine artwork everything on here is a collectible we have monsters and do you really want to do that but we ultimately decided to say yes and um, you know at the year of 2019 I really experimented with NFTs as uh, certificates of authenticity. Uh, for physical works. It wasn't until 2020 that I really um, accepted the fact that people don't care about the, the physical aspect uh, and, you know, uh, played around with some digital only uh, curations. And it was, and it was wonderful, you know, even from like, the business side, I didn't have to pay for uh, production, shipping, uh, all, all the things that typically I would upfront before. So it, it just made a lot of sense. The artists could create the artwork, they could transfer it over to me, I would handle that primary sale. Uh, and, and it just made a lot of sense. So uh, in terms of the Web3 space, that was really how I started experimenting with it. Uh, so, you know, super cool. Yes. And before that, you had a big art background, though. And I'd love to because I think that's mm -hmm. quite unique in your how you kind of came into the scene in that way. Could you give a little bit of a flavor of you know, how you got into art and your kind of art background coming in, coming up to that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So actually it was in, in college when I actually really started to embrace the, the arts. Uh, I started doing a lot of murals in, in Wynwood, the arts district in Miami. I was really engaged. I was studying art history at school. I started working at uh, a contemporary Chinese art gallery. And that was a really interesting moment, uh, just like dealing with 
the art world in a completely different sense and helping like organize exhibitions and and helping the the galleries out in any way that I could. But it was also very clear to me that I wasn't going to be able to support myself the way that I wanted to if I was going to go down this traditional art world path. So I actually started taking up computer science courses, uh, you know, at some of the local colleges online, uh, you know, just in any capacity that I could. And uh, I ultimately ended up working with a few different nonprofits in Miami, teaching young girls how to use the computer and then in turn uh, teaching them how to make art with code. And that was something that really fascinated me. Once I once I got introduced to processing by one of my friends, Willie Avendano, thank you very much. He's the best. Uh, he's like, what? He's like, you're, you're so creative. You're so into this. You should check out processing. And that opened up everything for me. I think, uh, you know, it became very clear to me once I started to learn how to code, like, this is great. Uh, but at the same time, I didn't see myself going to work at Boeing, building complex systems. Uh, I really wanted to work on that creative side and being able to have the visual aspect of the code was really helpful for me. So I could really see what I was doing and not working in this really abstract form. Uh, I ultimately ended up working at JP Morgan as a, as a developer there. And that was really helpful uh, on a lot of things because then I was actually, I was finally able to, have enough income to put on my own shows and uh around that time i started an instagram account which is now my company artx code but it really started off as this like anonymous instagram account where i was trying to find out who are the artists or even engineers that are working with code in a creative way so i could share their their art Uh, and so really having this community for the creative coding art space Uh, because at that point we were really just referring to it as creative coding it wasn't generative art like we call it today is you know creative coding let's do it um and you know that that all of that kind of came together in this creative outlet for me and so yeah i mean it it, nothing nothing too crazy but you know it was it was a great turn of events all in all (laughs) I love that. Uh, you know, it's one of those great stories of just starting small with a passion with your Instagram account. Like literally you started, yeah. uh, you know, really curating some amazing art through your Instagram account and it, and it coming there. So we're going to come back to uh, what you've been curating. Um, mm-hmm. But if anyone's listening to this and they're like generative art, I'd, I'd, <laughs> if you wouldn't mind, let's just talk a little bit about what it is and what's so exciting mm-hmm. and why why it could be this new movement that we're starting now um could you talk a little bit about that yeah absolutely so i think uh it's important to note that generative art as we know is really tied into just the history of computers and even before then this idea of um artists using essentially like a, a system of sorts to dictate what the artwork will be so um in like the more I don't want to use the word primitive, but I guess like early examples before computation was really an option. Um, Islamic tiling is a really good example of uh, generative art. So you're following an intricate rule-based system to produce really beautiful or new patterns. And then when we get into the 60s, it's the first time. So computation as like a, as a whole was you know proven when with Alan Turing and the and the creation of the computer and all that happening in the, in the 30s, the 40s, we have the mainframe computer come, up, come about. And then in the 60s, um, you know, we start to see artists like A. Michael Knoll uh, come about, uh, uh, George Nice, uh, Frieder Nake in, in Germany, uh, really trying to experiment with producing visual outputs with a computer. Um, and this is something, this is like a really key distinction, I think, in the history of all of this. We start to see um, engineers produce yeah, visual outputs for the first time and, and deliberately. Uh, and so we actually have a really beautiful, rich history from starting from the 60s of artists or engineers experimenting with uh, the, the computer as, as a creative outlet. Uh, and then we start to see some some traditionally trained artists start to engage with it too. So Manfred Moore is a great example. Um, he he was a musician, a painter, who started to really engage with the computer to produce his work and ultimately went that that route and went all 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 in on the computer uh same with vera molnar uh she was a a painter a drawer and she was obsessed with the computer she would uh sneak into her husband's lab 
and utilize his computer to produce artworks. And at this time, uh, it's important to note that we didn't have the computers of today. They were using punch cards. They were using pen plotters to actually see what the visual output was going to be in the first place. Um, and then, you know, as time comes along, we have the computer around. People are experimenting with websites and net art and all of these things, which is just so fascinating. And then, um, you know, it, it became clear that there needed to be a little bit more, um, there needed to be different ways for artists to engage with the space and even engineers. So uh, one of the first examples of this was John Maeda at uh, the MIT Media Lab, and he created this um, this product called, uh, oh my God, why am I forgetting it? Uh, something by Numbers, oh, Art by Numbers, I think it's called. And uh, yeah, Art by Numbers. And it was a very small, uh, you know, it was I think it was 100 by 100 pixels, black and white, and really trying to teach this as as a subject matter for for students to start thinking about how they can get creative with it uh through there casey rius and ben fry decided to take that and uh produce something completely new and it was what we now call processing um and even the way that they went about the user experience of this when you work on a, in a in a coding, uh, uh, you know, when you're when you're writing code and you save a file, uh, it's a file, right? Where it's, we're just like, okay, I'm writing code in, in this text editor, and I'm and I'm I'm saving my my file here. What they said is, okay, no, this is a sketch. Uh, you're going to be writing in your sketches. You're going to be creating sketches. Uh, they created their own library in which uh, it's actually really easy to get a circle on the screen. It's really easy to fill that circle, um, and so really being deliberate about the functions that they were creating so those people who were engaging with processing could actually experiment with uh, you know vis visual outputs in a, in a easy to learn way and then having uh, you know be being very big on like the open source side. so sharing your code sharing with people what you were building and being able to learn in that sense so um, when we think about generative art uh, now, especially, I, I do like to think about it more in this term of algorithmic art. And so really using the algorithm as as your tool of creation. And uh, one of the key aspects of generative art, algorithmic art, is this idea of chance and, and essentially collaborating with the computer and allowing a bit of intuition and, and producing these parameters in which something can happen, uh, but you don't always know what it's going to be. So there are a lot of these happy accidents or um, this element of surprise with the computer when you work with it, that it's just like, oh, what am I gonna get this time? And you can, you, you know, you can keep moving around, switching up different functions and really get something that you're you're happy about. Um, so that is like my, my long-winded answer about what, <laughs> what generative art uh, is to, to me. But uh, I think in the, you know, just a few years ago, we really just referred to it as creative coding. Just a really fun way to work with code to produce visual outputs, even if it was audio, audio reaction, some video work or, or still. Listen, that's amazing. You've lit, you've just really given us a history of generative art in a few seconds. So I'm, I'm really impressed, actually. <laughs> and that's why I really wanted to have you on the show to, you know, when we think of a lot of people, when they hear of NFTs, they'll think of, you know, a, a monkey or something. And, yeah. You know, there is this really legitimate uh serious high quality art element and i really see you being one of the people that's bridging the gap from the traditional art world to the you know to the modern nft generative art world and how are you finding the traditional art world are reacting to what's happening in generative art. And I'm sure they're looking at some of the prices. <laughs> they're going, yeah, what's, so what's going on? Where did this come from? Yeah, so um, there are mixed reviews all around. I've seen some art collectors with traditional backgrounds come in with open arms and say, this is fascinating. I can't wait to learn more. There are others who will just don't understand and can't wrap their head around it, which is why I do really enjoy putting on exhibitions that can help contextualize what's going on. Because if you're just looking at something on your computer, especially when you're so used to experiencing art in the flesh and you're supposed like, what, this is it? <laughs> you know, like, well, I'm looking at this piece on my computer. You don't understand, you don't actually have the context in which it was produced. It's hard to um, appreciate it. So I think one of my strong suits is actually having that, that, you know, development background and that I can understand the code in which 
you know, that's running behind the scenes to produce the artwork. So education is a huge, 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 huge factor in all of this. And so um, I'm really excited because I think this younger generation is really growing up learning code as, as, a, as a second language, essentially, at, at, in schools. And I think they'll be, you know, a generation that can really appreciate what's going on right now. And um, in the grand scheme of things at the macro level, you know, the computer hasn't even been around for 100 years yet. So, um, you know, I think what's happening is so culturally significant and getting that across to some collectors really helps uh but not always and then of course the price points are i think even for me were actually really um rather jarring i went from selling a lot of these artworks to basically from a thousand dollars under uh to then seeing them hit the millions and uh you know and, and basically like what 18 months uh that's that's a significant increase uh so you know uh trying to understand why that happened uh seeing a lot of the collectors come from also this like financial exploration into uh cryptocurrency makes a lot of sense in like how this market kind of like built itself up but i think my goal and my mission is to really think long term about it and not get caught up in those prices because again i think it's just culturally significant like what's happening now is important this is um it marks a new path in which artists work and the tools in which they're working with. Um, and then enter, like the blockchain is a whole added level into it. So we already discussed what happened in the 60s, but now the blockchain has unlocked a whole other avenue in which this work can thrive. And so, yeah, I, I, I see kind of this this frothy market that may not make a lot of sense to a lot of people. Um, it, you know, sometimes the price points don't make sense to me. <laughs> either but i think that's why i'm trying really hard to um organize shows work with up-and-coming artists and start um you know setting some standards as to like what how we're supposed to experience this work and you know what are what are some good price points i think another part that is really important is that we've actually taken a step back from this idea of just a single collector acquiring something. We now have the rise of DAOs and funds coming in, uh, trying to acquire this. So a DAO, for those of you who aren't familiar, you know, just this idea of a group of people with a shared treasury uh, coming in and, and collecting and acquiring things that they all believe in. And so uh, there's more purchasing power as a whole because of that, uh, which can drive the price points up. Absolutely. Yeah, I completely agree with with that and when we think about I don't see why just because something is digital we've always kind of thought when it comes to art that it is for some reason of lesser value right that's the way mm -hmm. maybe it's been in the last 10 years or or, or or that yeah and we've really seen that change with music I remember 20 I was a DJ 20 years ago and ever at the start people mm -hmm. would go oh that's not real music to electronic music and yeah I, they don't really say that anymore and I you know in yeah. the same way yeah, go on. No, yeah, I, I think it's actually really fascinating because, uh, you know, 50 years ago, Manfred Moore is a really great example uh, who we touched on earlier. You know, he had people, you know, throw eggs at him when he would walk out of his shows. Uh, he he did something really fascinating where he, he was the first computer-based artist to have a solo show at a museum. And while he was there, he had what he referred to as the wall panel. And he essentially asked in French, so I might be translating this wrong, but, you know, what are your thoughts on the aesthetic aesthetics done with the aid of the computer? And, you know, the responses vary to like, more is death. And, you know, this is like a war machine and how dare you? And just all of this anger towards the idea of using, you know, what was uh, a tool for the military initially um, to produce art and take away, I think there was this fear of, taking away what makes us human, which is our creativity, our, our marksmanship, all of these things, and, and automating that in a certain extent. Um, and now we're starting to see essentially the same arguments happen. So last year, exactly 50 years after that happened, uh, I prompted the same, essentially the same question, what are your thoughts on NFTs at this exhibition that I did? And I had a write-up of Manfred Moore, uh, you know, his wall panel to kind of contextualize it a bit. And the responses vary. It was all money laundering, right? Click save. Uh, we've had a lot, obviously some people saying, you know, creative freedom and all, you know, it was, it, was, it, it ran the gamut in terms of responses, but I find it so fascinating to see 50 years 
years later where they're celebrating art made with the computer, but now we're angry in which the way that we sell it. So <laughs> I think in a few years, we'll, we'll kind of look back and, and laugh a bit, but uh, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a funny timeline that we're in. And uh, I think there are a lot of people who fundamentally misunderstand what's going on, which is understandable because if I knew, learned about NFTs from the media, I'd hate them too. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. No, I think that was a great story about the history there as well. Uh, so you're on the Artblocks curation board. Is that are you still on the Artblocks curation? Board? I think you are. Yes, okay, yes, cool. So I'm glad I, I got am, that right. Yes. Um, and for anybody who's not familiar, Artblocks is a leading platform when it comes to this form of art we're calling where we've been talking about called generative art i highly recommend if you don't know about it already you check it out some beautiful pieces and really when it comes to the art blocks curation pieces that get released once one gets released maybe every month or so I, i'm not sure if i have the timeline quite quite right there but uh they they, they now sell out in minutes um and is there an in real life comparison to any marketplace where a piece of art goes on the market and just gets sells out in such volume uh, it's fascinating no um it's actually so fascinating the first so one of the first times i really engaged with with art blocks uh was dimitri cherniak's ringers so before ringers i had worked with dimitri a lot and you know i had sold a lot of his artwork and so when he was telling me about this and he's like, there's going to be a thousand of them. Uh, you know, I'm really excited. We did an interview that's on my YouTube. You can tell he kind of like goes through all of it. And the day that it launched, I was like, okay, great. I'm going to go to lunch. I'll buy one when I get back from lunch. It all sold out in 15 minutes. And at this point I was like, wait, <laughs> I used to, you know, it used to take me a few days to sell all of these things. And that was maybe like three works. It was a thousand of them and they sold out in 15 minutes. I was like, who are these people? What is happening right now? What is going on? And you know, all of the, this, the, the community that Artblocks has cultivated, especially at that time was just, everyone was so passionate about what was going on here and really understood, um, you know, what these artists were doing. So I think it's also important to note that you know, some of these early collectors were tend to be more tech focused. Maybe they were tech founders, maybe they were investors of some sort, but they had some sort of understanding about what it means to be an engineer or just a technical person. So they all really appreciated it and they were able to scoop up more than one at one time. And, you know, it was, it was crazy for me. I was like, who, what is going on a thousand and fifteen minutes? Like I thought that it was gonna take a week. And you know, that was just from my own framework of of selling artwork at that point. Uh so it's it's been really impressive to see how this has happened and been sustained it's sustained basically over the last two years. You know, people really, really love it. They they appreciate it and um seeing what these artists can do with code, the way they wrangle it and produce these really beautiful complex visual languages is really really fascinating absolutely do you have any favorites uh art block pieces are you like to are you like to say oh you know what i'm gonna go with it's a more recent one memories of keelan by uh emily she she's i mean she, i've been a fan of hers for so 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 long and seeing how she's one of the only artist I feel that really tells us who she is uh, with her code. So she's reached this mastery where she can give you context into her culture, her femininity, like just the way that she thinks and uh, through with her code. And that's not something that I think uh, a lot of artists can do that they haven't reached that point. Maybe they, um, you know, they, they can produce really cool visual outputs, but there's a whole other layer here that I think is at play. And so I am just a huge fan of hers uh, and the way in which she works. And so, yeah, I, Emily, she's great. Memories of Keelan or Chilin. So I, you can pronounce it either way, but uh, Memories of Chilin is more accurate. Uh, so, yeah, that's definitely a top Amazing. for me. I will link that one in the show notes. Uh, I've got a lot of favorites as well. Obviously, the Chromie Squiggle <laughs> is a big favorite. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And oh, Singularity. Sure. I have had my eyes on a Singularity. I haven't bought one yet, but it's. I was just checking out the, the prices today, yeah. and I'm looking yeah, forward yeah. to getting one in my collection. Um, so I'd love to now talk a little bit about ArtX Code. And mm -hmm. you were 
is, have I pronounced it right? Ardex code? Yeah, yeah, like Ardex code. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect, it's perfect. Exactly and how it's spelled. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and you were talking earlier about how you started Ardex code and mm -hmm. now from an Instagram account, which I think is such a cool story because it's very uh, accessible to most people. And could you tell a little bit how you that developed into putting on shows and showcasing generative art? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, again, it was really just this, I think the first post too is like a tutorial that I was doing. So like in the early days, I was like sneaking in some of my own stuff that I was working on. But I was really just, again, like trying to figure out like who else is inter interested in this because my friends could care less. Um, you know, I was, no, there was no one that I could really talk to about this. So, um, you know, I had this anonymous account that, you know, maybe I sent to a few friends like, oh, by the way, I'm doing this. Uh, but, you know, I was really just trying to find my people. And so, uh, you know, really really also trying to find different resources for them. So posting tutorials or different articles or whatever. I started to do blog posts. I think I deleted my blog posts. I don't know why I did that, but you know, it was, it was still, it was just really good fun. And I honestly, it was a really good procrastination at my job at JP Morgan too. Once I was there, you know, the first thing in the morning I would go through and try to look through the hashtags, trying to find like, what am I going to post today? Uh, and, but through there, I started to find some really amazing artists. And so, um, one of the great things about having that that early engineering job was that I finally had enough income to income to support these artists in a, in a meaningful way. So I started to collect their work. And at the same time, in New York, especially, there were a lot of conversations happening around art and blockchain. And so actually a really good friend of mine at work sent me a meetup that was happening. He's like, you, this sounds like your, your, your type of thing. And it was art and blockchain. And so I went and um, while I was there, they announced the first contemporary and digital art fair. Like it's going to be $75 for a booth. And I was like, I have $75. I think I'm going to do that. And so I really just wanted to showcase the work in my collection. Uh, and at that point, it really just consisted of Dimitri and Tyler. And uh, I think maybe a few other artists. And I was like, let me let me do that. So I work with Tyler. I, I actually showcase every work of his that I had in my collection. But then with Dimitri, who was local, uh, I went to his studio and went through a lot of his different programs that he was working with. And, you know, we would spend hours there going through each of the different iterations and kind of realizing, okay, these are the different outputs that we want to um, get printed. And so at this point, everything was printed. Again, this is like pre-NFT. Uh, we weren't utilizing those at all. And so what we would do is that we had all these really beautiful prints. I put them on display and I had a notebook that had all the code printed out so that people could see what was producing the visual works that they were taking a look at on the walls and that was a really really great experience that was uh OpenSea was sponsoring that and so what i referred to earlier in the beginning dimitri ended up minting one of his works uh and that was a really just fascinating moment all around we ended up selling out the entire show and so it was also kind of like oh i guess i guess i sell art now like okay this is cool uh but one of the coolest parts in, uh, about that nft story was that the collector actually asked um, if he could only acquire the digital asset, I don't care for the mm. prints. Right? He was like, um, absolutely not. This is like archival print, G clay, like on like you know beautiful paper, museum glass. Like you're taking the print, uh, and so you know he buys it for the full price. And when I went to go deliver it to him, I was like, okay, you need to talk to me right now. Why on earth? Why on earth would you only want the digital asset? I can't understand this for the life of me. And that was mm. actually the first time I was introduced to a virtual gallery. And so he had a plot of land and maybe it was CryptoVoxels or Decentraland. I'm not, re I'm not remembering which one it was, uh, but he had this plot of land uh, where he built a gallery and inside of this virtual gallery was all the artwork that he had been acquiring. And that to me was just like, oh my God, this is so cool. But at the same time, I was rather dismissive. Like, okay, this guy's like, you know, he's into crypto. This is what like, you know, our, our, our nerdy folk are doing. This is really cool, but I don't really see it being anything other than that. Um, so eh, I should have maybe paid attention, bought some plots of land, but it's okay. Um, and then, you know, for later on that year, I put on another show in Miami. Um, and then it started, I just started having a lot more fun thinking about uh, presentation and, and what that means. And so like playing around with sculptures, AI generated sculptures, um, bigger prints, you know, things of that sort. Uh, and then in 2020, obviously everything got shut down, started experimenting with 
uh, all digital shows. And that was also really fun. And this is just, it was really just something that I love to do on my off time. So after I would leave JP Morgan, I would just go on it. And my friend Sebastian uh, Sanchez would work on this with me. And it was always just such good fun. And then it wasn't really until last year, I'd like kind of like just seeing the critical mass that I had surrounded generative art that I was like, okay, I'm actually ready to leave JP Morgan and do this full time. And so I have, and so now it's been really fun doing a lot of advisory for not only artists and collectors, but different institutions, helping them out with their own uh, curation. You know, I did, uh, I helped Sotheby's in their last um, generative art auction. I think it was their first two. Uh, and, you know, managing the production of it, helping uh, co-curating it with the Spalters. Uh, it was it was really, really wonderful. So, um, yeah, it's been, again, like this this really nice natural journey into all this, which I would have never, ever, ever expected. I thought I still had like 10 years. I thought I had 10 years of being that crazy lady. Like, yeah, pay attention to coded art before anyone cared. But um, it's really nice. It's, it's really cool to see. That's super cool. It's an interesting in insight that story of that person who wanted the digital form mm -hmm. and I think that's a precursor more recently as we're recording I, I think it's this week or it's next week the Damien Hirst pieces are mm, yeah. either the currency pieces and anyone who's not familiar Damien Hirst very famous English artist uh did some pieces called the currency currency pieces and you got to buy one and I within a year one year later you had to choose whether you're going to keep the digital version or the physical version and whichever one you did not keep was going to be burned or destroyed um i didn't hear how many you know did you hear uh how many percentage of people chose the digital in the end it was a uh, interesting no clue. yeah well, i do have to take a look at that because i also have like a different take on the relationship between the physical and the digital especially given what i explained like in 2019 i do think that the token is very much a certificate of authenticity. It can be a certificate of authenticity for physical works. Um, I just don't think that the user experience is there just yet. Mm. Um, and the there's a lot of friction involved, even just communicating with other people who may own a certain artwork that you're interested in. Uh, so yeah, but I do I, I I do believe that you know if if I have a physical artwork, so let's say I have you know a Picasso painting and my house catches on fire while that artwork is away in storage and the certificate of authenticity goes with it. Um, I would much rather have a digital, a certified digital cert certificate stating this is legitimate. It came from the artists themselves and here you go. So, mm. you know, I think now it's just getting a lot of the vocabulary around this, just, you know, around and making sure that the token is very um, explicit about what the artwork is, uh, what the artist wants. Uh, and so I think, you know, over the next few years, my hope is to see um, just a lot of intent around the quality of the token and what's included, um, even if it is documentation around how the artwork was was created. Uh, I think it's going to be really, really fascinating. So you have been creating shows and curating shows in I think Miami was a big one for you. You'd be doing it all over America oh, for yeah. sure. And you probably <laughs> have great insight more than most people in the different how the different markets are evolving around the world i know you're in london mm -hmm. at the moment america seems to be where it's at when it comes to everything <laughs> nfts but uh, where how are the rest of the other markets whether it be europe yeah. or london yeah. or could you talk I mean, to that yeah i'm actually really impressed with what's going on in in europe i think in the united states we have a lot of people who um just feel really comfortable with it. Everyone's talking about innovation, all these things. Fine. The United States, we definitely have a market there, but um, there are really, really great markets uh, and just communities around uh, London, Paris, Berlin, uh, you know, Amsterdam, you know, there are a lot of different hubs happening right now. Lisbon, of course, you know, everyone's going over to mm. Lisbon now. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the collector base is strong. I, I was here in, in London for proof of people. And that was one of the most impressive uh, displays of community in Europe I've, I've ever seen. It was really, really beautiful. Um, you know, and, and so I think, Europe is it's it's doing it you know like you guys are really like really engaging with the space I was really impressed with uh Paris too during I was there during uh ECC uh you know there were a lot of really cool exhibitions going on mm. I participated in a panel there I got to see some really cool conversations happening around that which I think most people wouldn't expect because 
you know, the, the Parisians don't really have the best uh, reputation for being forward uh, thinking on most uh, aspects of, of things, you know, the, but, um, you know, like they're, okay. very, they're very set in their, in their traditions and in the way that they, they view mm. art and, and culture. So I'm really inspired seeing this younger generation really take hold of that narrative and, and flip it on its head and saying, no, we are willing to, to engage with this. And I think now it's going to be, um, again, it's, it's a whole education process and it's really cool to see organizers come together, bring people together and, and, you know, put on cool opportunities for people to learn more about it. Cause I think it, it really is an issue of just misunderstanding of what this is and what it isn't. So, um, and trying to also drown out a lot of the conversations around, markets and the profile picture aspect of the crypto world because i don't think that is a proper representation of what's actually happening there's a very very rich uh creative community mm. here that um, really does care about creativity and could care less about the market i think um it is important to know again like where this all came out of it you know blockchains are were became prevalent because people wanted an alternative to fiat uh you know environments and and um ecosystems in which that how that worked because that's burned us um, plenty of times over so you know i think a lot of people who were early in this space had a really uh interesting you know just interest in in new types of currency so you know the market and the artwork it, it makes sense why it's it's such a conversation but there are a lot of artists especially in the tezos uh ecosystem that are really you know they're putting their work out for five dollars you know ten dollars uh you know the hick and nook mm. when it came out last year this really brutalist website you could just go through and just see an artwork you couldn't even see who the name of the artist who did it, it was just a cryptographic hash which represented their profile picture and you would just see artwork that you like you would go it was maybe ten dollars and you're like great this is coming with me uh and so you know there's there's really really cool things happening there and that has nothing to do with what the media is talking about with the monkeys going for x amount of money you know it's they're just different tools and so you have artists making art for the sake of art you have people creating profile picture projects for the idea of creating utility and, and driving up the price they're two completely different things um so yeah super cool <laughs> super cool yes so i'd love to talk a little bit about artists getting into the scene something which i know you're really helping bridge that gap between traditional art and generative art and mm -hmm. i know a lot of traditional artists who maybe aren't coders mm -hmm. and have been curious they see what's happening in the nft scene and they're curious to get involved how do you see if someone is a traditional artist how can they get involved and start making that journey into exposing themselves into the maybe either creating some nfts mm -hmm. or or just generally the world um so i feel like crypto lives on twitter <laughs> you know getting on twitter trying to figure out find other artists who are who are already engaging with this and starting starting the dialogue i mean i think it's really important to start the dialogue with the community in any capacity everyone's really really kind um and and welcoming i know that there are a lot of different you know just so uh, vertical crypto art is a really great example uh, maple who organized uh, proof of people she has an artist residency helping artists you know get into crypto um we're seeing more and more of those types of organizations start popping up people really just trying to help onboard this next wave of artists into into this ecosystem so um you know i think it's being genuine is of the utmost importance. I think uh, engaging with the community is very important. Um, and then, you know, taking taking the leap, go ahead, mint an, art, mint an artwork, go head over to Tezos or to Ethereum, wherever you want and upload some, you know, mint something, see, see how that feels. Uh, you know, it's, don't expect something to sell right away. I think that's a huge misconception conception people have where, you know, they think I'm going to make an NFT and I'm going to be a millionaire. It does not work like that. It's the same thing. I can put art, I can walk out to the, the street and put my artwork out there. It doesn't mean someone's going to buy it. Um, so I think it's really important to um, try to find those collectors, try to find people who want to, who connect with you, find your tribe essentially. Um, and I think it, it will be really nice to see more galleries uh, engage with the space really help bring in more artists uh, you know i i work very similar to a gallery i'm this you know 
art dealer esque um, position here. But you know, my goal is to find artists who who would benefit from this. You know, like I, I understand that their artwork is really, really wonderful. But if they're not doing anything about it, you know. We, we got to do something. So like, let's get your artwork out there. Let's get into the hands of collectors. I think it's also really important to make sure that you don't change your practice for this. Um, you know, if you are a painter and you want your work to be a painting and you don't want to engage with the digital space, you don't have to, <laughs> you know, if you want to go for it. But I think that it's also really important for people to realize that you don't have to shape, like shift everything that you're doing to engage with this space. Um, if you want to engage with it in an authentic way, you know, experimenting with digital mediums in any capacity, absolutely do it. But, um, you know, I, I don't think that it's necessary for every single artist, especially if your market, your collectors have zero interest in engaging with it, because it's not, it's not, again, it's not this like magic pill that you're gonna make an NFT and everyone, like you're just gonna be rich and famous after that, <laughs> which I think is again, this like misconception that people have where, you know, it's it, that everyone should be, should make a ton of money because they make an nft which is just false uh so you know so what i'm hearing there is first of all engaging in the community in a genuine way <laughs> not just going okay i'm gonna start getting into nft so i can make some money uh that normally in most industries uh does not end well and people can people can 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 sense that when someone's just there to try yeah, and, yeah, yeah 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 exactly and then just to start making some moves in it. And this might sound a basic question, but is it, can people, if someone is an artist and, and paints a piece, can that, can they, can they mint that? Can they take a picture of that? And uh, is that what some people do or does it have to be? <laughs> okay. Uh, you're making some money. Okay. Yeah. Talk to me it's, it's a hard question to, to, to answer. I think that we're still in this experimentation phase where we are really trying to figure out like what is the right process when there's a physical counterpart associated with it. So, um, you know, I've experimented with this. I've made mistakes in the past where I'm like, eh, I don't think that we should have done that. Maybe, you know, they, I've worked with one artist who did uh, a series of five edition prints, uh, you know, a few years ago and they wanted to do, they wanted to mint a digital version of it and the digital one lived on its own. Um, I kind of regret doing that. I feel like it's not, because uh, now the people who own the digital, I mean, the physical ones, what does the digital mean to them? I think it's the same manner here. If you have a painting and you take a picture of it and you mint that work and you, you, know, you, you add it onto the blockchain and someone can acquire that digital version of it, what are you doing with the physical? You know, what, what does that mean? Is, is that an artist proof? Is that edition one? Is this edition two? Uh, you know, I, I, there are a lot of questions that I think as a community, we kind of need to come together and create those standards of how are we, how do we engage with that? But um, my, you know, for me, I do, uh, I, I, I like to see them paired together. Um, you know, if you're if, kind of to the point that I brought up before, it's it could really act as a wonderful certificate of authenticity for it. Um, but if you mm. want it to be this, I think one of the things that people enjoy about the digital artwork, and again, this is more on the market side, um, and not always actually, I'll take that back. But you know, having this digital asset where they don't have to worry about uh, you know insurance, storing it, putting it on their wall. Uh, you know, I've, I've had collectors tell me that they were not interested in the work because there was a physical counterpart to it. You know, they like to, if they're moving, they want to be able to take their little ledger with all 500 of their works and go on their way and not have to worry about packaging it up. Um, you know, they don't have to worry about packaging it up or any of that mm. sort. So, you know, it's, it's really interesting. And then another thing, um, and again, this is where it comes into the market side where there is a sort of, a sort of flexibility uh, when something does not need to be shipped, uh, especially if like, let's say they come onto hard times and they need to release, they need to let go of one of their artworks. Great, they list it, hmm. they sell it, and it's gone. That, that, that transaction is done in, in the blink of a second. So, you know, I think those are some of the issues at play right now with uh, the physical and the digital conversation, but I'm still a diehard for physical works. You know, I, I, I do love them and I, kind of reject this notion of all of us living in this virtual world uh, at some point. I just, it's, 
VR headsets make me dizzy anyway. Like I don't want to spend all my time in there. The world, the physical world is really beautiful, but I think what artists are doing with the computer is also equally fascinating. So um, yeah, I think it's, it's hard to give you a straight answer, but those are mm. kind of some of the issues that we're playing with right now. I see. Yeah. And we're still going through them. Uh, are there many NFT artists out there that are creating things by hand and then putting are many successful ones I should say or is it mainly still digitally cr created in your opinion no I mean we've seen some really cool uh, experiments happen so there was a product on feral file uh, that I'm forgetting the name of it, but I think it was plot plotted I think it was but it was it basically was it was an entire nft project centered around plotted prints and so you acquire this nft but you receive a a physical plotted print after the fact so there are mm. there are instances where people are experimenting with that um and i think it's wonderful i love plotter works i think the you know plotter plotter works are a huge part of the generative art movement and you can't abstract that on an on like just just be an online thing you know the fun part is having something that was mechanically plotted by a like a mechanical arm you know like that is just it's the coolest um so you know the, the, those are some instances there's one artist that i've worked with ben snell who and he created these pre like you know pre-era nfts but um these ai artworks in which he trained this computer you know he trained this program to you know, off classical greek and roman sculpture he allows that that uh, model to run once on a small little computer uh, and once that's done he takes that 3d model and then he grinds that computer to dust and makes it part of the sculpture itself so it can only be run wow. once it can only be created once yeah no, it's fascinating and i absolutely adore Amazing. these sculptures um and you know we've experimented with okay what would it look like then to create an nft of this and this is the first time that we actually create it like i worked with an artist to create a virtual certificate of authenticity for the work and so if you look at the nft it's actually a certificate it has all the like the wording there that says you know this is invalid like it has to be valid with both the physical and the digital certificate of authenticity without them like the validity is you know is, is moot if these two things aren't together um and so again starting to experiment with with this sort of issue that we're trying where we have right now with the blending of the physical and the digital Something you've been absolutely phenomenal at over the last few years is spotting these genius up-and-coming artists, the likes of Tyler Hobbs you've been mm -hmm. talking about, Dimitri, who are now mm -hmm. absolute mm -hmm. leaders, you know, the legends of the space. Obviously, you have a way of spotting this talent early. Now, I'm sure it's, mm -hmm. you know, it's something that's a little bit of magic, you know, there's a secret sauce you have. But if you were, if someone was getting into the NFT space and you were trying to describe how to spot some, what good generative art or good NFT art is, is there any kind of process or thinking process you could, you could suggest to them? So I do think that it's hard to be a good critic of generative art if you don't understand the context in which it's made. Um, and so having even just doing a little bit of research online into processing and how processing works or JavaScript, just working in JavaScript in any capacity will help tenfold taking a look at like try to get a circle on the screen. Like try to get a line on the screen, uh, try to include some element of chance within that program. Once you do that, you already have such a strong foundation in how you can take a look at an artwork and really appreciate it in a completely different level. Before I learned mm. how to code, I would look at something technical and be like, cool, that just exists. You know, like I was like, <laughs> it was just this, this all knowing thing. I could not for the life of me wrap my head around how something digitally was created because I didn't know what I didn't know. Once I understood what was going on behind the scenes, coding and engineering all these things became a very human focused art form they, a person had to create that and without that context it's really hard to be a a proper you know critic of it if you can't understand how they're actually producing it and then there are some criteria when you look at maybe a long form generative art project in which uh you know you have an algorithm that can produce 1000 or maybe you know 
on the, on the lower end, maybe a hundred unique iterations from a, a single algorithm. And so um, from there, you know, there are, there are some criteria that I do like to take a look at. So color, composition, form, same as any, you know, proper artwork, you know, you look at these things to, to judge them and to, you know, decide if they're visually, like aesthetically pleasing to you or not. But when it comes to a generative art project, you are trying to take a look at the visual language that they, these artists have produced. So, um, you know, what does the variation look like? Is it strong? If it's, if it's too much, it looks discombob like disjointed and there's not really a, a, a flow and like a story in which you can see all of these works came from the same algorithm. If they're too similar, there's, it, it just gets repetitive and it's not that interesting. Um, you know, so there's, there, there's a dialogue at play between the parameters in which these artworks ex exist, what you can actually even do with code, because it's not that much. That's why it's really cool to see artists completely just flip these things on their head and produce some of the most visually fascinating compositions I've ever seen with, you know, a couple, well, let's say like thousands of lines of code, but still it's, it's just really cool to see what they can do. I think some of my favorite artworks actually make me just say, how did they do that? <laughs> you know, like, how on earth did you do that? Uh, I, you know, I remember when I was taking a look at uh, Emily's projects because with Artbox, I do a lot of critiques with artists that are in the pipeline uh, and I take a look at their projects and then help kind of give some feedback. And when I was looking at, at Emily's and I was seeing these small patterns that she was including uh, in some of the pieces of the work, I, I actually had to ask her, can I see your functions? I was like, can I see how you're doing this? Because this is this is so, so cool. Like just how elegantly done this is. And uh, you know, that that makes all the difference, you know, being able to to understand that like coding is actually a very difficult and it's it's just a very difficult thing to do. And, you know, there's a lot of human creativity at play when that happens. And I think we all have you know, mm. before you have that context, it's really easy to just say, oh, it's automated, you know, oh, a computer did that. But no, 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 this is mm. a human, human being dictating to the computer. These are the, this is, this is the system that I've created for you to produce work from. Uh, and so, yeah, I think it's, it's, uh, mm. it's, it's just really cool. <laughs> it's just, you know, that, that, I think that is really, that's a really helpful frame in which to like, look at it. Hmm. If someone did want to learn more about how it is, how this art mm -hmm. is made, is there a website or course or book yes. or something that I you would recommend? I am going to give to the number, the number one, the number one is The Coding Train by Dan Schiffman on YouTube. Dan Schiffman is an angel sent from heaven. He is a professor at NYU. He's part of the Processing Foundation. Uh, he is just the nicest, nicest, nicest man. And he puts on um, tutorials, 15 minutes each, maybe tops, uh, different challenges. And he's just, again, just the, the best guy to ever. <laughs> I think the first time I met him, I was like, oh my God, like me fangirling over this like tall Jewish, like, you know, like a uh, really like a quirky Jewish man. I was like, I love you. Like you're the best. Uh, so, you know, it's, he's, <laughs> he's hilarious. And, you know, he loves rainbows and purples and stickers and all that. He's just, uh, I, watch him uh he's i used to spend week just all my weekends instead of going out i would sit there and watch his tutorials it's addicting um and he's a really great coder too so you'll learn a few tricks on how to uh compose your functions and whatnot so uh dan Schiffman all the way he has a lot of really great books on the subject too but that's a really easy uh way to just follow along if you have maybe young kids and you want to have your kids take a look at it khan academy uh k-h-a-n um they have a really cool pro uh, like an hour mm -hmm. of code thing for you. They also have, I think it's like drawing and animation with JS, I think is the name of the, of the um, lesson plan. I definitely recommend taking a look at that also. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll stop there. Those are just like two really great options for you. They're, they're great resources. I'll link those up in the show notes and I'll be <laughs> geeking out <laughs> over the weekend <laughs> over them as well. Love best, it. Yeah. Uh, so from a one thing you you work with as a lot with as well you get to meet a lot of traditional collectors mm -hmm. we've been talking about on the artist side up until now but i'd love to kind of flip it to the other side of the table and talk a little bit about collectors mm -hmm. who are collectors getting into the space if someone is a art collector or would like to get into the nft collection space how do you like to suggest they start 
uh, making moves there or yeah, getting into it. So I think it's important to, again, like kind of just like this like caveat, like my specialty is in generative art, so I will always push them to collect generative art, <laughs> uh, you know, so uh, sorry if you're not a generative artist, this is just my, this is my pitch, okay? Um, but, you know, I will, I will, you know, chat with them, try to understand what they are attempt like what are their what are their goals as a collector anyway are they trying to engage in the space more do they want to come you know kind of make their first like sound investment into the space whatever it may be um and so depending on that i will either find maybe like an up-and-coming artist get them something rather um you know accessible in terms of price point rather safe uh you know first foray into this uh or you know like tell them to go, like search through art blogs like see what you like there like maybe you know those are you know there's so many wonderful products that have made it to curated that are you know they're, they're gorgeous why wouldn't you want to acquire one and there's always something listed so why not take a look so you know i think art blocks is always kind of like a really great place to go take a look for uh, generative art especially because all the work is on chain uh you know i have also like so, some of my other friends or maybe just getting started and don't even know what to do, I'll tell them to take a look at Tezos. Tezos is a really fun spot with a, especially if maybe you're a lot younger and you don't have, um, you know, the spending power. Cause I do think a lot of people associate Ethereum with higher price points, all these million dollar sales, blah, blah, blah. But um, Tezos tends to be a little bit more laid back. Uh, you know, there's conversations like, oh, and would that be yes, on yeah. FX so, uh, hash yeah. on Teva? Yeah, Tezos? yeah. So Just FX hash, uh, yes. yeah, an object yeah. Cool. Uh, com is another one. It used to be Hick and Nunk. Uh, I think it might be back at this point, but uh, I don't know if people are really engaging with it the same way they used to. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's it. Really, it really depends uh, case by case. But those are some of the the. That's solid. I did. <laughs> yeah. And you mentioned up and coming mm -hmm. projects you're excited about. Are there any up and coming projects you're watching? You're going to try and mint when it uh, mm. drops. I will stay away from giving some alpha just so I'm not giving. You know, I, I, I yeah, we'll 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 pause there. Um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> Don't want to sell to front run. Uh, yeah, front yeah, run, exactly. Front exactly, run the drops. Exactly. I get that. No, but I mean, all in all, just seeing uh, super good. new artists, uh, super seeing good. new artists engage with the space is always really exciting. So um, I think my top of mind is really trying to find some of these artists. Actually, you know what? No, there is one artist who I saw submit an artwork to Artblocks. She's a 14-year-old and she got the highest score because I'm in the selection committee. We take a look at everything that's submitted. 14-year-old girl from, I believe, from India her project is just out of this world. And that's something that I'm really, really, really excited about because she's she's putting all these guys to shame, I gotta say. It's what? really, really cool. So um, Do you remember yeah, her yeah, name yeah. or it could I'm not gonna say her name. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's we'll get we'll, 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 uh, I'll, I'll tweet about when, once everything's finalized and things like that, I will I will uh, post about her. But uh for the time being wow. we'll we'll keep it at that. Yeah. Amazing, super cool. One of the things about Web3 and NFTs and Metaverse is it's an always-on, it moves so fast, and it's just yes. such an always-on environment. Do you have, how do you keep your mental health healthy? Do you have a morning routine that you like? Because it feels like the minute you're on, or I, I feel when I'm on, it's straight on Twitter and then you're pulled into 50 different Discord channels and it can be quite disjointing. Do you have yes. a, yeah, like a morning routine that keeps you focused? Um, well, now that I've been traveling, not so much, but typically when I'm like in my apartment, yes, I have like my, my matcha in the morning, I have to have like my moment of zen, but I think, um, one of the big things for me has just been accepting the fact that while crypto may not sleep, I do. Um, and, mm. you know, I, I try not to, I can't know everything. I won't know everything. One big thing is mm. that I actually don't really engage with discord all that much. Um, I've told mm. many people just don't, don't try to get me on discord. I'm not going to be there. I will go in every now and then when I need to, but uh, for the most part, I can't do it. I have, you know, eight other like messaging platforms in which I'm engaging with collectors, artists, and whoever else is in, uh, you know, that I need to speak to for business. Uh, I can't 
add in another one. Uh, and so, you know, I think it's trying to figure out, um, you know, laying out like where, where am I most effective with my time? For me personally, it's, I, I have to, I, I don't engage with discord, but um, I know that that's a place where a lot of people are having their conversation. That is where the community is. So please don't take that as a recommendation to not engage with discord. That's just how I, that's just what works for me. Um, because there's, you know, there's, there's, a lot of traffic coming in from every which way and so that was just one where i had to respectfully bow out uh you know uh, but that's you know those are some of the helpful things and also just being upfront with some people you know you might not hear from me for a few days i will get to you when i can mm. um, i'm trying to you know build out my team a little bit more now so that i can actually be better with my time because right now it's basically me and one associate uh, and a lot of things going on so uh yeah yeah it's it is a lot but yeah, i know i think being honest is key yeah i think that's important as well just knowing what your boundaries are and yeah. you're never going to be able to see everything mm -hmm. so it will never stop even if you do look at discord then there'll be some channels in discord you're not seeing so just knowing what you can do and being okay with that is such an important thing for keeping sane in a web3 world yeah i agree uh, I have one last question I'd love to finish with, and that's really, if we look forward three, mm -hmm. three years, seems like an eternity, what will be compared to what, <laughs> what's happened in the last year, but looking forward, maybe three years, five years, and as the metaverse is growing, how do you think art will be in the metaverse maybe three years from now? How is it going to evolve? Well, I think it's important that like I, I do view the metaverse in not so much this like virtual land that mimics where we live now, but very much the way mm -hmm. we engage with art and just with each other on the internet as a whole. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think, you know, it's it's hard to say because if you would have asked me three years ago what was happening, I would not have guessed this. So uh, like not in the slightest. So it is hard to say. I can't, I, I actually, I'm gonna, I'm gonna cheap out of this one. I can't really give you an answer. It's, it's one of those things where um, what I hope is that we can start to facilitate some of the basically solve some of the problems that we have, especially with onboarding user experience, making sure that this the, the friction that's currently involved, even engaging with the space, those barriers need to be lowered like significantly. And that's what I'm most excited about so that it is a lot easier for people to engage with the space in a way that is meaningful and not extremely convoluted. Um, it might get messy in the beginning. I think, you know, seeing a lot of the uh, governments come mm. in trying to figure out how they're going to regulate all of this. We've already seen some artists get, um, you know, there was an artist in Latvia who, who I think is basically being held by his government for fraud because he made so much money in crypto uh, uh, this year. And, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be, I think it's going to be really tricky um, in, over the next few years and seeing how the governments try to get a hold and control over what it is that we're doing right now. So it's gonna have to get ugly before it gets good. Uh, and I think we're seeing that already with, you know, Coinbase and just all the KYC that's involved. And again, like this entire community tries to reject that notion where you need mm. to know who they are. Anonymity is such a huge, is such a key part. I think we'll, why we even see some of the auction houses having a hard time because no one wants to give them all their information um, and their backgrounds so that they can actually acquire the artwork that's there. Um, so yeah, uh, I have a lot of thoughts, but, um, at the same time, it's, it's hard to, to predict the future. It is. There's a few mm -hmm. players like Decca and Gallery that I think are mm -hmm. trying to establish a way to show pieces of art in the, call it the virtual world. Is there, and I'm yeah, sure there's yeah. many others I haven't heard of. Is there any one of them that you think at least is, seems to be doing right at the moment? Well, the two examples that you gave right now are perfect. I also really enjoy yeah. uh, cy cyber um, on cyber that I, I know, that. where okay. it's um, more of a, it's actually more of a virtual gallery space that you can walk around in, uh, which is really fun because then it also gives, you know, if you wanted to have a career as like an interior architect, you could essentially make you make an NFT of this three D world, and people will buy that three D world so that they can put their artwork in it. And I think that is really really cool. Wow. Um. So we're seeing that type of market. Um 
come about and you know they have really really people you know you can actually display your artwork in a, in a cool way that kind of mirrors a physical world you can use you can do it in a vr headset if you really wanted to um but for the most part it's just a cool place like walk around you can go up to the artwork you can click it learn more about it see on open sea place a bit if you wanted uh you can hear the music cool. playing uh you know yeah it's, it's cool that's cool. I did not know about that one. I'll look forward to checking out. I'll link that in the show notes yeah, as well. Yeah, there, it's, it's standalone. I think uh, it's it's a cool thing to see collectors, you know, they can post their gallery on, on Twitter and people are like, this is so cool. You know, you don't have to go to anyone's house anymore. They can just post a link on Twitter. <laughs> Amazing. Sophia, I have really enjoyed uh, catching up chatting and really catching up on everything bridging the world of art to the world of virtual art and nfts thank you so much uh if what people want to check you out online and maybe come okay. to one of your upcoming shows or, or anything at all how would they check you out so i'm experimenting with doing some like independent curations and things of that sort so i would definitely like my twitter is where i'm always yapping away so uh sophia garcia underscore io mm -hmm. is where you can find me there uh for artix code our website artixcode.io is a great place to to find us um and those, those are the, the two keys that's that's all you need amazing thanks so much thank you so much for having me this is wonderful all right that's it for this episode want to thank you for listening if you want to get the links and the show notes just head on over to our website frontierofthemetaverse.com and if you like this episode please do share it with anyone you know interested in all things metaverse and of course you can subscribe and leave us a five-star review would be very much appreciated all right i'll see you in the next episode